mentoring, uh, about relationships with our young people, and of everybody in this church, um, Tim Shelton is one of these men that has taken a stand to mentor young people. And I just want to say thank you, Tim, and we're looking forward to what you got for us, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I think I'm at a disadvantage. I've got to follow this. You did a great job, brother. <laughs> great job. And also, I've got to follow the great job that Nick did speaking earlier in the month and the job that Stacy did when she was talking about mentoring. So I think I'm, I've got a lot to live up to or to try to, and I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'm going to try. Uh, Brother Bill asked me to give a, a testimony. I don't have a dynamic testimony like Nick gave. I was raised in church all of my life. I've been saved as long as I can remember. Had great family background, had a lot of great mentors that helped guide me along the way. So I don't have that dynamic testimony that can help inspire somebody. I've already told the story about how I became involved with the youth group to, to everybody before. And it was, it's, it's, it is what it is. I didn't want to do it to start with. But uh, I think I've told the story to you guys several times that my family, my mom and my dad and my sister, told me to suck it up and go help those kids if I could. <laughs> When, after Brother Bill asked me to. So I, I don't want to go through all of that again. Stacy has already stolen my thunder. I can't talk about how I go about mentoring because Stacy's already done a better job at it than I would do. So what I am going to talk to you a little bit about is more about mentoring itself. We've talked about the positives. We've got a positive example of, of what Nick's done. But if you choose to mentor on a larger scale than what you already are, then I think there's one thing you need to be prepared for that I'm going to touch on for just a second, and then I'm going to talk some more about things, is mentoring, you can fail. You can be disappointed from time to time. I could list off a number of, of young people that we've worked with here or that I've worked with that, you know, maybe they just didn't want to listen to what you were saying at the time, and they went down a bad path. Maybe they didn't recognize the opportunities that you were giving them, that, that you were trying to help them find maybe you just couldn't make the connection with them that you needed to have in order to have that great mentoring relationship that, that I've established with people before, that we've all established with people before. Maybe they just get angry because I don't know about everybody else who does mentoring, and I know a lot of y'all that do do the same thing. Maybe they just get angry because you reach that point where you see them doing something wrong and you get on to them pretty heavy, and you tell them you're screwing up and I'm not going to have it any longer, and they choose to go the opposite way and not be involved with you anymore. That happens. So I want everybody to be prepared for that. And sometimes we just make mistakes as mentors, that, you know, we're human, that, that we fail as mentors because we're humans. And sometimes also, everybody, you'll get discouraged. I've, I've been very open and upfront in talking with the young people and some of the adults about I'm a firm believer that on your spiritual journey in life you have ebbs and flows of your spirituality where, you're, where sometimes your beliefs are stronger than others and sometimes you get weak in your beliefs. And I've, I've went through that and I continue to go through that all the time. It's a constant ebb and flow. But I also, and I'm not talked about this much, I also do that with my mentorship where some days I wonder, do I want to continue to, to mentor? Do I want to continue to invest the time? Or is it worth it where I have those doubts? And I went through one of those recently. And of all the weird things, I've also long said that God will answer your, you in weird, strange, unusual ways. And you just got to be watching for them. And the last time that I went through one of these is a month ago where I went through one of those struggles of do I want to continue to mentor? And do I want to continue? And is my time being well spent right now? 
And of all weird things, and I didn't recognize it as the answer until about an hour later, I was eating Chinese food. And on the way out, they give you that cookie every time. So I was about to leave, and I wasn't going to open my cookie, and then I remembered, oh, wait, i got to open my fortune cookie. And when I opened it up, it said, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it said, if you do not give, nothing will be given. So that reinforces to me that you have to give to people, and you've got to be there to work with people, to inspire them in order to be given back to which I've been blessed for many years and been very fortunate to have been given back to by God. But most of all, I want everybody to know, and we've talked about this a little bit already, mentorship can be very, very, very rewarding for you, more so than anything else. It'll far outweigh any of the negatives that you go through. And you gain a lot of new friendships. I can't tell you how many new friends I have through the parents and grandparents and different acquaintances of the kids that I've mentored and, and been part of their lives. So I get all of those bonus friends of not only those kids and their friends, but also I get the parents and the grandparents and, and the aunts and uncles that you get to build those relationships with and be friends with. You get all kinds of new kids if you mentor young people. They become like your own. I have a lot of these kids that are like my kids and a lot of others that I spend a lot of time with. So that's important. And also you'll get things like another time when you might have a doubt, you'll walk into somewhere. Like I, I go to, you know, the Anderson Youth League. There's a ton of our kids that play ball there. And so I go to a lot of their games just to watch the kids play and to be there to help support them. Well, some of the times, some of the most rewarding things that you may get, there was one day that I walked in there and I'd been in there for about 15 minutes and I'd had about 15 kids run up and either hug me or wave at me or yell at me or, or something. And so that's very rewarding to get that from kids. But probably the most rewarding thing about mentoring, especially mentoring young people, is watching them grow, watching them learn, watching them be successful. And I honestly, I could sit up here and brag about my kids for the rest of the time that we've got here today. But I'm not going to do that. Because what I want to close with, no one has talked to the young people yet about what it means to be mentored. So that's how I'm going to use the last few minutes of my time is to talk to the teenagers about what it is and what you need to do in order to be successfully mentored. And I'm going to do that by telling one story of some of my kids. And most of y'all don't know this young man. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about his story. And I asked him in advance if I could share his story. And he said yes. And I told him I wouldn't share his name. So I'm not. But this young man, I saw him for the first time when he was in ninth grade. And I was going to watch Nick play basketball. Uh, so I saw this young man, and he come walking in, and I didn't know him, had no idea who he was. He comes walking, and he's got a kid on his hip. And you could tell he had a little bit of anger just in how he walked. And so I asked Nick and a couple other kids, who is that? And they, and they told me about him, and the, the kid wasn't his, which is irrelevant. The kid wasn't his, but it was his girlfriend's. And he was there. And you could tell in watching the game that there were a lot of anger issues there because, I mean, this kid got tossed out of the game after two technicals and punching the floor kind of situation. So I thought, wow, this kid, he's struggling, but I don't know him. He wasn't a friend of Nick's. And I thought, you know, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't know. And I think that's a missed opportunity on me that I could have been involved with this young man's life earlier than what I was. Well, 
I didn't think about this kid again after I watched him play basketball with Nick a couple more times until right after Nick and him graduated high school. And Nick came to me and he said, he called the young man's name, he said, do you remember him? I said, is that that kid with the anger problems that played ball with you that was such a ball hog and had the kid that he, that he walked in with all the time? And Nick said, yep, that's him. And I'd heard Nick talk about him a little bit before, and him and Nick just didn't like each other at all. They could not stand each other and I think tried to pick fight with, fights with each other pretty often. And Nick came to me and he said, he's needing somebody to talk to because he's trying to decide what he wants to do with his life. And I told him I would ask if you would talk to him. So I ended up, I spent a couple of hours with him one night and got to know him. And this was a very hard working young man. He was already working two jobs and just freshly out of school trying to be successful. And he was saying, I want to know what I need to do because I want to get an education and I want to better myself. And I thought, okay, we can, we can work with this. We can work with this opportunity. So I ended up helping him get into school. He got a job, got his very first job, went in and worked very, very hard, promoted about two or three times. And just to give you an update of where he's at now, he's bought his own home. He, ended up, he lived with us for a little while. He's bought his own home. He's married now, married into a good family, great young lady. And he just, in the last couple of months, has gotten a new job where he decided to leave the company we was at, take a new job, and he's making, as a 21-year-old, what he's hiring in at is more than the average person in this area makes already. So he's took advantage of that opportunity, took advantage of the, op of the education. So this is one of the young men I'm very proud of. And I tell you this story because teenagers, I want you to listen to this. Teens, look at me. I want you to know what he did in order to be successful and to think about that because you need to do these things if you want to be mentored. If you don't want to be mentored, you don't have to be. None of us are going to make you, but these are some of the things if you choose you want to be mentored that you need to do. And some of those things, this young man, he listened. He listened when, when people and adults were talking to him because like we talked about in Sunday school, Chelsea taught a lesson in Sunday school this morning to the teenagers that was perfect for this. And I don't know if y'all have all heard the story of Balaam's donkey, but the example that we use is sometimes the adults in your life are that donkey that, that goes and lays down and goes off the path and tries to get out of the way because they're trying to save you from something that you don't see. Because if you remember the story, Balaam couldn't see that angel of God who had his sword drawn. And like Chelsea said, a lot of times when an angel comes to you from the Lord, it ain't always a good thing. Especially if they've got the sword drawn. Well, the donkey could see it. So we were using the example to the teenagers of we as the adults or we as the parents or we as this person who's trying to talk with you, we might be that donkey that can see that danger that's coming at you and you beat on us with a stick. Because if you remember, Batlam beat that donkey and beat that donkey three different times until the donkey said, what in the world are you hitting me for? So listen if you choose to be mentored. Take advantage of the opportunities like this young man did. Find the opportunities that are out there and grab them so that you can take advantage of what's going on in being mentored. This young man applied himself. He worked and he went to school and he was working 50 and 60 hours a week and he was going to school the whole time trying, trying to be successful and to get that next opportunity for himself. And most importantly, and this is what we've got to really stress to the teenagers today. 
he humbled himself to realize that he did not have all of the answers and that he needed help. And you've got to know when to do that. So adults, if you choose to mentor, and you all mentor, whether you understand it or not, you everyone do, because all of you have got either kids, nieces or nephews, cousins, some young person looks up to you, so you're already mentoring. But if you would decide to do it on a larger scale, I want you to be prepared. I want you to, to remember the things that Stacy talked about on how to mentor. Remember what Nick talked about and the benefits of mentoring, but also remember to be ready for those times when it's going to be difficult and that it's not always a bed of roses, but it's very, very rewarding. So I wanted you to be prepared for all those things. So thank you, Brother Bill, for letting me have a few minutes. Last week we learned that the wrath of God is a proven fact. Y'all hear that? In fact, the Bible doesn't seek to prove the wrath of God whatsoever. It just automatically assumes that it is a reality. We know that God is love, but at the same time we know that God is a God of intense wrath. He has his wrath against sin. Now, his wrath is revealed... The Bible says in the world that we live in today, but the Bible also says that the wrath of God will be experienced for all eternity to every person who leaves this world without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The wrath of God rests on every person who leaves this world without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now some people wonder why in the world would a loving God even have wrath? Well the answer to the question is found in the verses I'm going to share today. Today we're going to see four reasons why the Bible gives for the wrath of God. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to share, with, share these with you and then share those reasons rather quickly. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 the Bible says... For the wrath of God, say the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, here comes some reasons, ready? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Say without excuse. excuse. Because, here comes some more reasons. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and 
creeping things. One reason for the wrath of God is because of man's rebellion to God. Man chooses to be ungodly. In other words, man has no relationship with God and it comes by his own choice. He is ungodly. Now another sign of man's rebellion is that even though man knows the truth, man knows the truth, he willfully ignores the truth of God. Why? So he can continue doing what he wants to do. He ignores the truth of God so he can continue in his sin. Therefore, he is in open rebellion toward God. Now, there's a second reason for the wrath of God. And that is man's revelation of God. What is this truth that verse 18 says that men suppress? It is the very revelation of God himself. We actually suppress the truth that God is. God deeply desires that people know about him. Why? So they can have a deep and personal relationship with him. To do this, God reveals himself in millions of ways to us every single day. First of all, I want to bring your attention to what the Bible says is the place of God's revelation. Notice where Paul says God is revealed. In verse 19, because, here's the reasons, what may be known of God is manifest in them. In them. Manifest in them. The idea is that the truth of God is implanted in the heart of men. It's implanted into the minds of men and women. A very young girl named Helen Keller was stricken with a disease that left her unable to see, unable to hear, and unable to speak. Can you imagine living a life unable to see, hear, or speak? Fortunately, a lady named Ann Sullivan worked tirelessly and selflessly with Helen to help her to communicate. Eventually, Helen did learn to communicate, and she taught her to communicate through touch. Although she was still blind and could not hear, she could communicate through touch. And when Ann Sullivan tried to tell this blind girl, this deaf girl that could not communicate at first all about God, Helen told Ann, I already know about him. I just don't know his name. God is implanted in us, in our minds, in our hearts. Even without a Bible, friends, people can come to know about God. God's desire to reach man runs so deeply that he has implanted it within us so that we can all know God. So the place of God's revelation is in us. It's in them. Now look at the power of God's revelation. Same verse in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, but listen to this, for God has shown it to them. You see, friends, God's power is on display everywhere, all about us. God has shown us his power. He's shown us that he exists. Let me give you some examples. Imagine a little acorn. A little acorn that grows into being a mighty oak tree that's incredible to me 
Think of the human body with a circulatory system, a respiratory system, a nervous system, a digestive system, a skeletal system, a muscular system, all working in perfect conjunction all through the course of your whole life. That's pretty amazing to me. Somebody had to do that. Think for, the, for a moment that most scientists now believe that our massive universe came to be in one particular time. One time. Did you know that among major scientists, this theory of evolution is growing out of style? That's right. Many now suspect that there was a higher intelligence that created this universe. We know who he is, don't we? Think for a moment that there are over 10 million species of insect, 9 million of which we hate. Amen? Think for a moment that the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference and that the earth weighs 6 septillion 588 sextillion tons and it hangs on nothing. The planet earth spins at 1,000 miles per hour in absolute precision and careens through space around the sun at a speed of 1,000 miles per second in a yearly orbit that is 580 million miles long. Think of the sun. This, if the sun's radiated energy could be converted into horsepower, the sun would be equal to 5 million, million, billion horsepower. Every single second, the sun uh, consumes 4 million tons of matter. Think about light. Light travels from the sun at about a speed of 186,281 miles per second. At that rate, it would take the light from the sun 125,000 years just to go to the end of the Milky Way galaxy. And there are billions upon billions of galaxies in this universe. And now I'm going to tell you, guess what? It all just happened. It just happened. No way! What I really want to tell you is, is that God proved to man that he's real. He proved to man that he possesses great power. He has created all this. No wonder the Bible says that a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Why? Because he's shown his power all around us. God has revealed himself in us and shown himself all around us. But I ask this question, what is the purpose of of God's revelation. The purpose is to force me and you to make a decision. To force men, women, and children into a moment of decision. See, God desires that every single person come to know him and come to worship him. But we know that not all will. And so, God is given every conceivable kind of revelation that he could give. 
in order to reveal himself. So if you think about it, the universe is kind of like God's courtroom. In court, God has proven conclusively that he exists. Those who refuse to believe in him have been faced with the evidence and they're left with no excuse that he lives and that he possesses great power. They are guilty as charged and they will in one day face Jesus Christ at the great throne and they'll hear the charges against them. And then they'll be forced to bow, forced to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all. So God has wrath against sinners. Why? Because of their rebellion to God, but also because they reject these incredible revelations of God. But there's a third reason. A third reason. And that is man's rejection of God. Look there in verse 21. Because, here come some reasons. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Can I just tell you that it is a reckless choice to reject God? It is reckless. When man has been faced with the truth of God, and he makes his stand against God, you move into a new area, the realm of rejection. Now, the rejection of God can be seen in two areas of our life. You've no doubt witnessed this yourself. But first of all, they gave God no glory. Gave God no glory. That is, they refused to exalt God as God. They refused to give God first place in their life. And instead, they reject God and give God no place in their life. Therefore, God is not glorified in them. And he is filled with wrath against their selfishness and against their sinfulness and against their foolishness. But they also gave God no gratitude, nor were they thankful. See, while they, did, while they denied God, they sure did take all the wonderful things God gave them. While they denied God, they took all the things that he gave them to teach man about himself. And they used it for their own selfish gains without a single thought to their incredible, almighty creator. It's a reckless choice to give God no glory. It's a reckless choice to give God no gratitude. But I also want to show you that there are consequences. There are resulting consequences. There are, is a resulting condition because they rejected the truth of God. They were given over. They were given over to their own wretched lives. Notice what the rest of that verse says about their condition or about their consequences. First of all, the Bible says that their life is a hollow life. He says, futile in their thoughts. The King James Version says, vain in their imaginations. That means they fill their days focused on me. Fill their days focused on themselves, but those days will end and they will find that their lives have been absolutely pointless. So what does it mean? What does it mean if man accomplishes great things in his life, but then at the end of his life he goes to hell? What does it mean? The answer is this. He's wasted his life. He's thrown his life away. It would have been far better for him that he'd never, never even been born. If he dies without Jesus, 
He's lost the only thing that he truly possessed, and that is his soul. But not only is their life a hollow life, their life is also a horrible life. The Bible says that they turn their backs on the light that is of God's truth. Their foolish hearts were darkened. See, what men don't understand is the only alternative to light is what? Dark. That's the only alternative. And as they move farther and farther away from the light, they move farther and farther into the dark. Their foolish hearts were darkened. That's why I say their life must be a horrible life. Friend, it's bad to think of the possibility of anybody going to hell truly separated from God. But add to that a life spent in, in a cruel world without any consideration, without any relationship with a loving Heavenly Father, that's a horrible life. To live all those years trapped in a dark dungeon of our own making, living there thinking, oh my goodness, I'm happy, I'm whole, all the while the cancer of sin it's destroying you from within. And then, when it's too late, when it's too late, you realize that all the while, you could have enjoyed this relationship with God. You could have gone to his heaven. You could have been there for all eternity. That's a horror beyond words. Let me give you the last reason for God's wrath this morning. And that is man's reaction to God. First of all, the Bible says that he reacts with a foolish result. Verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. See, when a man turns on the Lord and he closes his eyes to the truth of God, he thinks he's smart. He thinks that he's wise. He thinks he's got all the angles figured out. He thinks he's got all his bases covered. But sinners got it backwards. They got it backwards. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To the world's eyes, we as Christians are the biggest fools in existence. Think about that. We miss out on all the pleasures of the world, they think. We place our faith in a man who died on a cross some 2,000 years ago. We think he's coming back real soon. But from God's perspective, from God's perspective, the wisest decision you can make is to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be seen as a fool this morning than to live in sin and prove I'm a fool at the end of my life. Would you agree with that? That sinner reacts with a foolish heart, but he also reacts with a false religion. Did you notice there in the last verse? And he changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed creatures and creeping things. When man says no to God and he turns on God, you know what he does? He invents things to worship. He worships his account at First Southern Bank. He invents things to worship. What is up with that? When we have God who has revealed all of his power, 
When we have God who has shown us who he is within us. Talk about foolish. That's crazy. But what the Lord is telling us here is, is that men and women are basically religious creatures. We are religious in nature. And if we don't worship God Almighty, we're going to manufacture a God so that we can worship. That's what happens when man turns his back. And if that don't scratch your itch, what you'll probably do is you'll find another man that you can worship. And if that don't fit the bill, ultimately maybe you'll set yourself up and you'll find yourself worshiping your own little self. Amen? Worshiping your own little self. Living your life only for me, myself, and I. See, that's what man does when he's left to himself. That's what man does without God. And notice the downward spiral there. He begins by worshiping man. And then he goes on further to worship birds and then four-footed animals and then even reptiles and creeping things. It's just the opposite of what some people believe about evolution. When man steps away from God, he doesn't evolve, he devolves. Amen? He doesn't evolve, he devolves. He doesn't progress upward, he regresses downward, farther and farther into the darkness. So this proves a point. That walking away from God does not prove that you're wise. It proves you're a fool. It proves that you want your life to be a disaster. It proves that you want your eternity to be a failure. So here we are, with four reasons for the wrath of God. Man's rebellion, God's revelation to us, our rejection, and then our reaction. If you ask me, God has plenty of reason to pour out his wrath on mankind. So how does this sit with you today? If this message spoke to you like it has me, you probably realize that there's an area of rebellion in your life that you need to correct. If you're anything like me, you probably realize that there is an area of your life that you've not fully given to God. He wants first place. Because if he doesn't have first place, then he's really got no place. Now, I don't know your hearts this morning. But I am quite sure that there's more people here that are like me. That have areas of their life that they still need to submit to the Lord our God. I'm sure that there are people here who aren't precisely in the center of God's will where they want to be and where God wants them to be. Would you agree that there's always room for improvement? Would you agree that every one of us is under construction? Would you agree that we all have work to do? And it begins with the man and woman in the mirror. We talked in our life group this morning how easy it is to point our finger and say, don't do that, that's wrong, that's sinful. All the while, there's an area of our own lives that is in open rebellion to God. 
So this morning, regardless of what it is, I want you to know that if you have a need in your life, God wants to hear about it. If there's a need in your life, during this invitation song, I want to invite you to come to, to this place, to the front here, where we can pray for a whole measure of things. We can pray, and I can show you what the Bible says about how you can be saved. Saved from your sin. Saved from the wrath of God. We can come here and we can pray about getting right. We all pretty much agree that we've got areas where we need to get right. We also talked in our life group about confession. The confession is good for the soul. And it's a requirement of God. So this morning, we can pray about that. We can also pray about some need that you have in your life. If you have a need in your life, would you just lift your hand up? Wow. We all have them. We all have them. Would you like to pray about those? Maybe we need to pray about someone in your circle of influence that's lost. That if they were to go today, they'd have no hope of heaven. No hope of an eternity with God. Maybe you want to pray about that. I just want to tell you that if you have something the Lord is speaking to you about this morning, there's no better place than this. So if the Lord has spoken to you, I want to encourage you to come. Would you do that? Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who desires to hear the prayers of your creation and the prayers of your children. Father, when we think about your wrath towards sin, it should make us desire to cleanse ourselves from it all the more. Father, if there's a need here that someone would give their life to Christ, Lord, I pray that they would come forward and they'd receive you as their own. Father, if there's somebody that just needs to get right and they recognize that, you've spoken to them about that, I pray they'd come to this wonderful place. Father, if there's a need in their life and they just want to lift it to the throne of grace, I pray they'd come to this place. Father, if there's someone who wants to pray for someone they know, perhaps someone in their family, that has no hope of heaven right this second. Lord, I can think of no better place. Lord, whatever need, whatever burden, Lord, help us to bring it to you. And we'll give you the glory for it all, Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.